Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Get myself in front of the make to broadcast for an hour or so, talking shite and telling stories of the previous week and the past life. I think I'm. I uh, welcome, uh, dear listeners, to another episode of the Scott Gibson Show, episode forty-four. As always. I hope you're safe and well. Um, another week in lockdown, another week in the fucking pandemic. As we sit and record broadcast, if you will, um, the United States of America, which is currently on fire, literally and figuratively, they uh, they seem they seem destined to destroy themselves, America. But as we uh, as we record this episode, apparently they've just passed six million cases of uh, COVID nineteen. Six million. More people in America have tested positive for the virus, confirmed cases, than the entire population of Scotland. Let that sink in for a moment. Now I know we have international listeners we have people listening in australia good eye uh germany you know i'll feed the shame guten tag up your bum uh and the people's republic of of england england shire but let's just think about that for a minute the vast majority of people listening to this podcast will live in scotland the vast majority of us are scottish people there are now more confirmed cases in America than the, than the entire population of Scotland. It is fucking insane. And I, uh, I just literally just before I, I came on, I had to nip out, I had to, I had to go to the uh, I had to go to the chemist, pick up some a prescription for the good lady. Um I also heard on, on the radio just as I was coming home to, to record that, strangely, in Sweden, a country which seems to have dealt with this in, in a unique way, in their own way, um, the they've had a dramatic increase recently in the sale of uh, face masks, with uh, one of the country's major distributors uh, recognising an increase of 300% on sales of face masks in Sweden. Now, it looks as if the, the Swedish government are about to do a U-turn on their recommended guidelines, so is this, is this a, an action of governments who have possibly been out on the cusp of wanting to do things their own way or not wanting to have a, a full lockdown or, or commit to certain guidelines now 
getting on board and almost regulating with the rest of the world, or are we about to see another spike in Sweden? You know, as as I mean, I, I, every time, every single time I go to record, I say, "Don't fucking talk about COVID," but it's so it's so hard when it still consumes everything. So there you go, six million cases, um, and the fucking the bold Swedes are uh, finally getting on board with the face masks. Maybe it's maybe it's winter time over in Sweden. Who knows? Who? knows but as always uh, thank you for joining us thank you to everybody let's get we got a few housekeeping things out of the way um we are potentially back gigging well no potentially we are we're back gigging again thank god this is the longest i have been off a stage in in the 10 years almost 10 years i've been going um and it's been horrible it's been horrible to be away for this long I I think the the most that I've ever spent away from a stage not gigging is two weeks, and that would have been when I went on holiday. And even that was a pretty tough two weeks to not be away from it. So to have spent six months not gigging has been has been very hard. It's been strange, man. You know, because there's obviously part of you that, that understands that it's not through your own choice. Like, it's not like you've I've not been gigging because I didn't want to gig. It's because I physically can't, you know. And, yes, there, there's been some outdoor gigs and different things, but, you know, I, I, I'm... I'm I was going to say I'm pleased with myself, but that's not maybe the right way to put it. I, I, I um... Just fucking say what you're thinking, Scott. For the love of God. I made a decision with myself at the very start when these outdoor gigs were starting to happen that I wasn't going to do them. Because, like I've said before, it's everything that I love about live performance and live comedy, it's completely detached from it. So I I wasn't interested in, in doing them or, or trying to kind of pursue them. I was actually even watching... So I was listening to a podcast, so I was watching it on YouTube, and uh, a couple of American guys were talking about these uh, drive-in gigs that are doing and how difficult he found it because he was a storyteller like me and the, the kind of the disconnect for the audience was really difficult and uh, it almost felt as if it was a, a performance piece, like he was reading a script rather than an actual stand-up routine. And they were talking about a couple of people who were on the bill who had kind of somehow wangled their way in there and as someone was on stage doing the the routine cars just started to leave <laughs> people <coughs> because people obviously in a, maybe in a, in a club environment or a theater might have heckled or might have got up and just walked to it they could they so they just had to drive off so you are on stage literally watching people just drive out of the gig. I mean, that even that itself must have been fucking horrendous. But yeah, so twentieth of September, um, Sunday afternoon, Sunday sesh. We're back for our very first gig, and the amazing people at the uh, Classic Grand in Glasgow have allowed me to come in uh, and perform there. So I'm I'm over the moon. I'm delighted. I cannot uh, explain just how excited I am. Nervous am, worried am about getting back performing. I think the 
I think because I've got a date now and it's set in stone. And here's another thing, right? Uh, we had sold out the first batch of tickets. Now, I spoke to the... I actually spoke to them today. I spoke to the venue today um, just to go over some... Just to really understand what the whole guidelines around social distancing are. So that, so that I'm aware of it. So that I can inform people who have bought tickets. And just so that we can kind of just so that we're on the same page because the last thing I'd want to do is turn up to do the gig and a lot of things are thrown at me and it and it turns up no being what I wanted it to be. So we're confirming that today and thankfully, as they have gone away over the weekend and looked at their plans, their, their agreed seating plans and, and their, their agreed kind of plan of action for social distancing, we can actually get some more people in. So uh, another 20 tickets were released on Monday afternoon and... Uh, uh, the last time I checked, there were two tickets left, so I am hopeful that by the time you, you're listening to this, those are gone. If not, go to the website and snap up those last two tickets. But yeah, so 20th of September, we'll be back uh, doing a live gig with a live audience that I can see and I can hear and they can see me and we're in the same room and it's real and it's, it's close to old you know, old normality or old comedies we can get, so it's going to be brilliant, man. And listen, to everybody who bought tickets, generally, I cannot thank you enough. I honestly cannot thank you enough. My, my biggest fear and my worry was that nobody was going to buy tickets. Now, I know some people might say that's stupid, but I'm just being honest, that was the fear. It's such a time away. It, it does feel as if the world that I, that I knew, you know, no longer exists, almost, if that's the easiest way to explain it. So thank you to everybody who bought tickets and uh, we're going to have a fucking great night on the 12th of September or a great afternoon even. It's going to be a belter. Um, but what I will say is this, um, I have got another thing confirmed um, that I confirmed over the weekend and I'm going to be doing another uh, gig, possibly two, maybe even three gigs um, with a friend of mine and... I'm not going to, I can't say any more than that just now because we are finalising dates and we're going to get a date for it to go on sale, but that will be getting announced very soon. Um, so if you want to know about that or hear about upcoming gigs, because hopefully hopefully this is us turned the corner and gigs can start to get back again, then go to the website scottgibsoncomedy.co.uk and subscribe to the mailing list um, and just check out the website, check out the, the tour dates on there as well. And you'll get to see those gigs that are coming up. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And I will be announcing that um, pretty soon once we get everything finalised. Um, but yeah, huge thank you to everybody who bought tickets. Um, it's, it's odd how... <clears throat> I've been talking to a friend of mine uh, the last couple of days. And and kind of that, that idea of like fear and, and, and worry and, and you know being stressed. And, and how it's just all inside your head. And, and, and for me being genuinely nervous again about going back to something that was second nature to me and how having that time away that forced time away has re it's reaffirmed the nerves as a negative thing rather than a positive thing if that makes any sense the only way i can describe it for example before i do a gig every time before i do a gig literally before i walk on stage the nerves are overwhelming overwhelming and that has never left me from day one it has got less and it has reduced and i've managed that but the nerves have never left 
Um, when I first started, I would take the day off work. I wouldn't be able to sleep the night before a gig because I would be thinking about it so much. And I, I know now after almost 10 years that that comes from... I suppose it comes from respect, respecting the audience, respecting the venue, respecting the craft, respecting the art. I don't want to fail in front of the people who have booked me. I don't want to uh, give a, a bad experience to the audience. I want everyone to enjoy themselves, especially when you get to the point where you're, you know, people are paying for tickets. There's money involved, and you want them to have a good experience. So all of that would be would would be nerves that build up, and and like I said, I've got to the point now where those nerves really don't kick in until we're about to walk on stage. And it's just a, it's just a feeling of doom, I suppose, impending doom, dread, you know, fear. But that all manifests as this, this kind of nervous feeling that I have. And again, it's very hard to explain, but they literally, as I walk onto stage, by the time I get to the mic and take the mic out the stand or say, you know, good evening or hello, say the first words, all of those nerves just completely disappear as if they were never there. And I think that's just a way of my my body and my mind preparing me for what's ahead. And because I've done it so many times now that I know I can do it. You know, I know, I know I'm funny. Listen, I have always had trouble. I don't know if it's a West of Scotland thing. I don't know if it's a Glaswegian thing. I don't know if it's a Scottish person in comedy thing. But I have always had trouble admitting that I am very fucking good at this and I'm getting better at doing that so I can tell you now with confidence I am fucking brilliant <laughs> but do you understand what I mean it's that it's the kind of so so those nerves I because I become used to them and it was part of the part of the the process if you like I knew that those were a positive thing and it's very rare it's happened at all in the last couple of years. But if there was ever an occasion where I didn't have those nerves, it maybe didn't go as well because maybe I, I, I wasn't in the right headspace. I didn't give it the respect it deserves, whatever it is. But those times have been very few and far between. So now, because it's been so long away, those, those nerves are back to being real nerves again rather than that positive energy, if you like. So when the tickets went... Uh, and we sold out the first batch, um, I was over the moon. So generally, thank you to everyone who's bought them. And uh, in case you're wondering, when you did go on to see the tickets in general sale, and there was only like 30-odd left, the tickets uh, went out to Patreons first, uh, and that's the way we're going to do it from now on. So if there's any kind of gigs like this, uh, Patreons will always get uh, early bird tickets or the chance to buy tickets before they go in general sale. So again, if you want to support the show and the podcast... Um, and you want to get access to these kind of things, then join the Patreon, man. It's the best way to do it. The numbers are growing. We're getting a nice wee collection over there of fucking rascals. Um, but we need to try and build those numbers as well. So uh, do that. Again, go to the website, follow the links, or go to patreon.com forward slash Big Scott Gibson. And that's probably the easiest way for you to sign up and uh, get on the Patreon. Okay, a couple of things, <coughs> excuse me, that I want to talk about. I watched a film last night that was absolutely spectacular. It's been it's been a while since I watched a good film, and and actually enjoyed it. 
and, and it's I think it's an old film, maybe a, a year or two old. Um, it's called Dark Waters. Uh, in fact, it came out in 2019, so it's only a year old. Now, you, you may have seen this, Mark Ruffalo. Um, it is the true story of DuPont, DuPont, the American company, pharmaceutical company that, that basically poisoned the water supply of uh, a small town in America. It ended up with them going to court, and I believe the final settlement was like $610 million, um, for these different cases. Now, the, the film itself is a spectacular movie. It's it's a brilliant film, beautifully paced, um, gives you enough information without being completely overpowering, so you're, you're able to follow the story. But the fact that you know it is a true story and that nothing has been exaggerated for Hollywood or for the big screen, exaggerated in the sense of what these people did to the people of this town, it's terrifying. You know, it's terrifying. And in an odd way, it kind of highlights everything that's happening just now in America. Is is probably a, a flare up of another part of society within a country that literally gives not a fuck about the people who live there. They they will literally try and kill you for profit. That that's what has come from from this film. There's a I'll talk to you about I'll give you some more details in a bit, but there's a bit that always stuck me when they talked about DuPont's I think it was either weekly or monthly. It may have been monthly. But their profit, whether it was week, I think it was weekly, right? Their profit margin was $1 billion, say, a month, right? That's what their profit was. And there's a scene in it where he confronts the CEO of this pharmaceutical company and, and then it suddenly becomes aware that the business had grown to a point where they were making such money and such wealth that they could not change the course of action regardless of what they were aware they were doing because that amount of wealth and that amount of money is worth far more than 70,000, 100,000 people. It's terrifying, man. Genuinely terrifying. Um... Only one thing I'll say about the film. I don't know who casts movies. I don't know. I don't know what the process of casting is. I don't know if a, a director has the power or the authority to say who they want in. I don't know if it's an agency thing. I don't know if there's big players in the business. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Everybody in it is spectacular, apart from Anne Hathaway. It's such an odd casting because this is set around West Virginia. And the characters in it and the people in it are the 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 exact description of normal people, right? Normal people. Like that's exactly what they are. They're just normal people in every sense of the word. And then you have Anne Hathaway. Now, regardless of the money that is thrown in to the props department or the makeup department. There is nothing you can do to make Anne Hathaway look normal. Even in even in the scenes where, you know, she's just dressed like a kinda like a disheveled mum, you know, like cardigans on, long skirts, the hair's all kinda mess, she's just shattered, looking after three young boys. 
whatever they did to her, she just looks like a Hollywood star, you know? So that it was such a... It just... It, it, not that... It, I mean, her performance is good and it doesn't detach too much from it, but you are conscious that it almost feels as if you're watching a group of amateur dramatic folk and then one Hollywood star. Not that their performance is amateur because Matt Ruffalo in it is fucking unbelievable. I just mean it's almost impossible to make Anne Hathaway look normal. And because of that, she just stands out so much. She just she just looks out of place. It, it looks as if she's been, like, kidnapped by this normal man in this wee normal family. It just She just looks out of place. And that's the only thing I would have said. The casting and that was a bit strange. But the film itself, um, I'm getting this from Wikipedia. I'm just going to read it. So, Dark Wars 2019 American biographical psychological legal thriller wow um blah 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 blah, blah. the stormy dramatization of robert billow who is uh, mark ruffalo's character is the lawyer um billow's case against the chemical manufacturing corporation dupont after the contaminated a town with unregulated chemicals uh starts mark ruffalo alongside Anne, Anne hathaway and tim robbins uh, the story is based on the 2016 New York Times article, The Lawyer Who Became DuPont's Worst Nightmare. Uh, the story was first told in 2007 book, Stain Resistant, Non-Stick, Waterproof and Lethal. The Hidden Dangers of C8. A mid-Ohio Valley journalist. I can't even read this, man. Right, this is bullshit. I'm reading the wrong thing. Uh, here we go, right. Uh, Robert Billow, corporate defence lawyer from Cincinnati, Ohio, working for the law firm Taft. Uh, Farmer Will... For, right, what am I reading here? I'm sorry, guys. I've totally fucking led you in the garden path here by reading completely the wrong stuff. Um, let's read this article. Dark Waters, starring Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway, launches in Europe. Uh, it tells a toxic spill scandal that ultimately led to US chemical giant DuPont, DuPont paying 671 million US dollars to settle more than 3,500 lawsuits in 2017. The company's plant in Parksburg, West Virginia, has been, con- has been contaminating local water supply with, let's try and say this one, pure floric perfluorocaptonic acid fuck me known as PFO8 also known as C-8 which is used to make products such as Teflon the contamination has a probable link with six illnesses among the local population including kidney and testicular cancer DuPont had used C8 since the 1950s. It had known since the early 1980s that the chemical was toxic to humans, but only agreed in 2006 to phase out its use. Though the company continued to deny wrongdoing, it has become one of the classic cases in which business leaders pursued a strategy that could cause human harm long after the risks had come to their attention. It's, um, It's an incredible movie, man. It really is. It talks about basically. Long story short, right? I know, I, I know, I'm going to have one here, and I apologise. This is getting a bit fucking rambly, even for me. Uh, a chemical was invented, um, which became known as Teflon, 
and it was invented originally for the war as a coating to be used on the outside of tanks. And this was flame retardant, it was waterproof, and it was used on battle tanks in order that they could preserve them last longer and basically kind of avoid some kind of uh, damage from initial, initial flare-ups from like mines and things like that and blasts. The company who created that chemical component then used that to create Teflon. And uh, as part of the film, you realise, I always thought Teflon was just uh, coatings in pans. Apparently it was used in carpets at some point as well. A Teflon coating in carpets, it'd be used in some kind of garments as well. Some some jackets had a Teflon coating in it. Uh, and from this uh, chemical, you had a, a, a component called PFOA or C8. And this was being put into the water supply. And it was being put into the water supply through fluoride. And it was being put in landfills in this town as well. And from that, people became sick. Now, they had been doing tests in the Teflon uh, factory on its workers. Um, women were given birth to children with birth defects. Uh, a lot of people were dying of cancer. The business themselves even gave workers cigarettes laced with Teflon uh, in order to do tests on them. The group of men who were given the cigarettes they smoked by the business to carry out these tests, all died of cancer from smoking these cigarettes. In a very um, propelled period of time as well. This was not like, you know, all these men died over the course of 40 years. These men all died relatively close together in a very short period of time. And the film itself uncovers all the studies that they did in relation to increasing cancer numbers, what it can do to damaging to your health, fully aware of it, yet at this point they're making millions upon millions upon billions of dollars, so you push ahead anyway. And uh, the story of the film starts and centres around a, a cattle farmer whose who's cattle basically die and become contaminated because of the chemicals in the landfill, and it follows it from there, but as the, the case goes on for 10, 11, 12 years, because like anything else, the courts... And I suppose any legal system in the world really favours... It favours the rich and it favours the wealthy. There are mechanisms in, in every uh, legal proceeding and legal system that enable those with wealth and with power to prolong things. And the the point or one of the story arcs in it is that DuPont, the pharmaceutical company tries to prolong this to an extent where they're going to give up because they just can't financially afford to keep it going anymore. And obviously, as the story goes, it's, you know, they win the case and then they, they, they try and argue against it. It goes to court in his individual sentence. Uh, the, the lawyer who raised it wins the first three and then after that they settle for this figure of $670 million, which was insane at the time. The worrying thing, though, is after it, the when the film wraps it gives you some information on, on the, the real people who featured in the film it talks about their story it also talks about the fact that this chemical this PFOA is present in almost every living organism on earth and when that came up at the end on the screen I was shocked I generally shocked me 
almost every living organism on Earth has traces of PFOA in their blood. And the next statement was, including 99% of all humans. Now, I can, because I watch so much cooking stuff, right, I can vividly remember seeing a number of cooking programmes and articles, and it was around um, upkeep, wear and tear, how to look after your utensils and how to look after your, your equipment and things like that, right? And the one that I'm thinking of was um, an, an American program, and it basically talks you through the basics for the basics for cooking in the kitchen. So sharpening a knife, um, maintaining uh, kitchen equipment, what different chopping boards are used for that kind of thing, and that was a program, right? And in one of it, it always talks about you you never put metal on metal, right? That's one thing, and I've always remembered that never put metal on metal. And I can remember them saying you don't use metal in a non-stick pan because eventually you will corrode the pan and work the non-stick coating off of the pan. And then if that gets into your food, it can poison you. Now, that is taken as, you know, you don't scrape a pan and you don't think about, you know, you, you don't think about those chemicals going into your food. We've all done it, right? I mean, I'd done it even a couple of weeks ago where I went to cook something in what was a non-stick frying pan, it starts to stick, and then I clear it, I go, oh, this pan's done. And now it's making me think, well, why is it done? Is it done because I haven't maintained that properly? Or is it done because that chemical film that's on it, that Teflon film, that PFOA, which can cause cancer, which can cause birth defects, which can cause testicular cancer, which can cause all sorts of increased health conditions... Is that now not sticking to that because that chemical has been absorbed into my food, into my body? Have I, have I consumed that fucking chemical? Probably. It's it's one of those films that when you watch it, it will it will change how you start to think about things. It's one of those films that kind of opens your mind to something that exists every day around us that I would say none of us have even considered. None of us. I certainly... How many of us have ever actually sat and thought there is a chemical in our cooking utensils and Teflon? A, a, a name that every single one of us knows. Every single one of us knows the word Teflon. We all know it. But yet we don't understand how damaging this is to us and how all of us have this chemical in our blood. An amazing film. If you're looking for something to watch, watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, I don't know if it's on Netflix. Um, I don't think it is, but you'll be able to get it somewhere. But Dark Waters, give it a watch, man. Honestly, it is absolutely brilliant. Right, here's a wee news story that I wanted to look at. Um, this is, the headline simply reads... Covidiots, oh, see what they've done there. Covidiots criticised on Tui quarantine flight. And this is exactly, this is exactly what is happening with the vast majority of these fucking ball bags that are still travelling abroad on holiday. Because if, if, you, if you have not learned 
that the the main reason why things fuck up in life is because people are involved human error right it's it's very rare that anything major happens other than um you know, a, a natural disaster, tsunami, but e- hey, listen, even all that kind of stuff could probably be traced back to the fact that we are over-consuming natural resources, polluting, uh, increased population that's beyond anyone's control. So at the end of the day, humans, we are the fucking virus. But regards to travel, I mean, I have mentioned this before, we came back from Amsterdam just as lockdown, I literally think we got in the front door and put the kettle on, and then the news was, nobody leave the house, it's fucking lockdown, and we were travelling back from Amsterdam to Edinburgh, and at the time thinking, I don't know what's going to happen, I don't know what's going to be waiting for us at the airport, Um, you know, this is when Brexit happened as well, we're going, are we going to have to go to a non-EU bit, are we going to be quarantined, are we going to be sat in the, ho- in the, in the hospital, are we going to be sat in the airport for hours, do you know what happened when we landed, fuck all, Nothing. Walk fucking straight through. Didn't even have to go to a non-EU bit, travelling back for you. Nothing. We walk fucking straight through. Nay did a mask on, nay hand gel. Not a fucking thing. Straight through. And even now, when people are travelling between countries that are potentially getting shut down at midnight any day, it seems as if human error is still to play. The article, which is available on BBC News, bastards, reads as follows a flight from Zante, which left nearly 200 people facing two weeks self-isolation, was a debacle. And a free-for-all, passengers say, debacle's a fucking great word to have in a news article. One traveller said the two-way flight was full of covid Now, I bet he was happy with himself when he got, I'm going to say covid That's brilliant, isn't it? You fucking dick. Um, the flight was full of COVID-8 and inept crew who couldn't care less another claim there wasn't much policing of the rules. That's uh, odd to think that um, staff and flight crew from a 2A flight weren't that prepared to deal with the situation. Um, 16 passengers on flight, whatever the fuck it is, TOM6215, who gives a fuck about that? From the Greek island to Cardiff. Ah, it's the Welsh... It's the Welsh. I mean, again, not surprising. You know, not surprising. If I had gone Welsh, Geordies, Glaswegians, I'm expecting that. Um, Tui said safety was a priority and it was concerned with the claims our crew are trained to the highest standards. <laughs> Say, saying that you are... Two-way flight crew or cabin crew and you're trained to the highest standards. It's just like being the top junkie that can always find a vein. That There's nothing to be proud of in that. I think you'll find that the two-way crew are trained to the highest standard. What is that standard? Because it's certainly not that of the fucking top-end airlines, is it? Can you imagine somebody going for a job interview with Emirates, Emirates Etihad? Eh? One of the fucking fancy... Even if you, you go, I'm going to do the private route, you go for some private chartered company that flies these celebrities in the wee jets. Can you tell us a little bit about your previous history? Well, I've worked 16 years with Tui. Get the fuck out of my office. Highly trained Tui staff. 
our highly trained staff can rescue a jobby from 35,000 feet with just a plastic fork and a shoe. <laughs> oh my god. Um, a full investigation is now underway as these concerns were reported during the flight or before today. There's a fucking idea, eh? A flight back from Zante to Cardiff and it's gone completely tits up where everybody basically having an orgy in the air and no giving a fuck about lockdown or COVID-19 and it's no being reported. There's a surprise. The 193 passengers and crew were on board the flight on the 25th of August are being asked to self-isolate for a fortnight. Good luck with that. Health officials say Eve, Health officials said seven people from three different parties are believed to have been potentially infectious on board the aircraft. Fuck a duck. On it, honest to God, man, right? See if you have someone who is knowingly infected travelling on a flight and it says here that they are from three different parties. Seven people from three different groups know that they're affected and still travelling back on a flight to get home. Get them in a fucking cage. Quarantine the cunts on a fucking boat in the middle of the Atlantic for ten years. I mean... There's, there's still no, there's no consequences to this. You know, there's nothing stopping you travelling to one of these countries where they're not telling you the, the, the travel bridge or the fucking inflatable dinghy or whatever the fuck it is, isn't there anymore. There's nothing stopping you from going there, having your holiday, doing whatever it is you want to do, go to Zante, fucking take a picture with the blue roofs and the fucking sand and have a shite Greek kebab, whatever it is you want to do, right? Smash a plate, punch a local... Fucking try and break a footballer's legs. Whatever you want to do in Greece. And then come home, fully aware of the fact that you are top to bollocks, loaded with COVID-19. Infect a full plane, go back in, don't self-isolate, and just continue to do what the fuck you want. Because you know what? Nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're not going to get fined. You're not going to get to jail. Nothing's going to happen to you. So what is the fucking point of this? There should be somebody waiting at the fucking airport, hazmated up, right? And as soon as they land, put the fear of God in the cunts, blow the doors off the hinges, turn the lights out, start dragging fuckers by the ankle, up against the wall, gun in the mouth. Get in your fucking knees! Find the seven people who are infected, drag them off, you'll not see them for quite some time, no explanation to the families, right? If anybody goes, hey, that's my fucking cousin... Bang, butt the gun right in the chops, down he goes, now you've established authority, now the rest of them know, anybody speaks at a ton, they're getting a fucking fat lip. Everybody else in the plane who wasn't aware these people were infected, just happened to be innocent bystanders, guess what, you're getting fucking two weeks in a Marriott, locked down. Locked down. What, we're slipping food under the door, and it's not even good food, it's fucking astronaut food, sashayed, right? Freeze-dried strawberries, we're keeping that. You're getting fucking chilli con carne. There's a kettle there and there's water. Fill that up. This is the DuPont. You're alright, mate. It's the valleys. And those seven wee fucking outbreak monkeys, get them in a shed somewhere, hanging by their feet. There needs to start being... See, until we see the first arrest and imprisonment of someone who has knowingly broke quarantine or knowingly infected others. 
until that happens, what's the fucking point? Seven, how can seven people fly back from another country knowing they're infected? Oh, I fucking hate people, man. Public Health Wales uh, told BBC Radio Wales, fucking hell, getting the word out there, uh, people returning from Zante in particular are picking up the infection and are coming to our attention. Oh, that's good to know. Greece and its islands remain in the UK government's list of quarantine-exempt countries, meaning travellers do not need to self-isolate on their return. But the Foreign and Commonwealth Office updated the travel advice for Zante on the 29th of August to reflect local coronavirus restrictions put in place on the island. So there's a local restriction in place on Zante, but they're still letting people fly in and out. Stephanie Whitfield said uh, she and her husband had decided to self-isolate before they had even learned about the positive cases. Oh, good for you, Stephanie. The flight was a tobacco. The chap next to me had his mask around his neck. Brilliant. <laughs> oh. Not only did the airline not pull him up on it, they gave him a free drink when he said he knew a member of the crew. Wow. Loads of people were taking their masks off and wandering up and down the aisles to talk to others. As soon as the flight landed, a load of people took their masks off immediately. The flight was full of selfish COVID idiots and an inept crew who couldn't care less. Miss Whitfield told BBC Radio 4's Today programme, I mean, already I'm turning you against me, in fact, you're speaking to fucking Radio 4. Uh, she noticed a crew member ask one woman to put her mask on, but the vast majority of people weren't being spoken to. And there was a chap sat next to me who had his mask on his chin for the full flight and the stewardess was talking to him she didn't say anything about the mask. The couple have now set off for a test as they are experiencing mild symptoms, she added. I don't believe it. I think she's pulling that in. I mean, what hope have you got? What hope have you got as well when... You know, there's this attitude that people don't want to put themselves in harm's way or it's no their it's not my fucking job to do that. I mean, it's no long ago when... The, the fucking government is saying, wear a mask in supermarkets. And then you have the head of supermarkets coming out and said, look, we are not going to enforce it on people. And do you know why they're not going to enforce it? Because they want your fucking money. Wake the fuck up, everybody. Wake the fuck up, man. This everything's about money. They don't care if you live or die. Tesco doesn't care if you live or die. They want your fucking money. You know? Do they're going to say to you, hey, you can't come in, you've not got a mask on. I want your fucking money. So get yourself in, you cheeky wee rascal. Same with Tui. Nobody fucking cares. <laughs> I just can't believe that people have, have been allowed to get on a flight knowing that they are positive for the virus when this is still happening. It begs belief. It begs fucking belief. I swear to God, man. Well, there you go, Tui. Eh? For all your COVID needs. Let's do a wee uh, listener's question, shall we? Um, I've got some questions from uh, Patreon. Oddly, last week's Patreon episode, for those of you who are on the Patreon, um... It was entitled The Lost Episode. I basically recorded the full episode uh, with the mic on mute. Classic gibble. Sat, did an hour and 15, and uh, went, to, went to edit it, and it was like a fucking silent movie. You know? Nothing. No audio. And um, 
So what happened in the end was I've got a recording of uh, a show that I did at the Tron Theatre in Glasgow. Uh, it was my uh, solo show, Like Father, Like Son, which was my second solo show. Never been released. Uh, was keeping that uh, till later on, which I will still be releasing later on in the year so that you can uh, buy it and listen to it. Um, but if you were on the Patreon, then you got that as a little extra treat on Friday because I fucking bulged up the recording. So... I hope you enjoyed it. And I had a load of questions from Patreons, um, Patreonis, that I went through. So I'm going to look over them again and we'll go through them again this uh, coming Friday on the Patreon episode. But I, I put a wee post up today. Uh, I've got a question here from Malky McKechnie. Malky, bye! Uh, Malky asked, if you had the chance to cook a meal for someone, who would it be and why? Um, who would it be and why? And that goes to contestant number two. There was... It got that the reason why I wanted to answer this is because it got me thinking about something, right? Now, a few years ago, there was a show on television that I think ran for four episodes. I think that's all it was. It might even have been less. And why it was never picked up, I have no idea. And I imagine it would have been because someone at the BBC or ITV, whoever it was, thought, this isn't cool enough. Or, you know... The people who are on it are not talking about fucking TikTok or Snapchat or something that they can do a meme offer. And the show was uh, Ronnie Corbett was cooking dinner for some friends. Uh, he would have a guest on, a different guest each time. Uh, what is the guy's name? Welsh guy, Gavin and Stacey, stand-up comedian, actor, oh, Fuck, what is his name? Gavin and Stacey cast. Uh, Roy, what is his name? Roy? No. Rob Bryden. Rob Bryden. Rob Bryden was on the one that I watched. Now, long story short, Ronnie Corbett, little Ronnie, cooking dinner for, uh, you know, a pal. Talking shit about fucking show business and show business. And he's fucking cooking away on our yellow pages, you know? With a gas up, going like, bloody hell. Wonderful television. And it got me thinking about the time uh, uh, when I was performing at Fringe by the Sea. And I uh, I got the chance to sit and, and basically talk to Ronnie Corbett's widow, Ronnie Corbett's wife. And uh, it, was, it was unbelievable, man. It's, it's one of those things that I... I'll never, ever forget, ever, ever, ever forget as long as I live. On the bill that night was Barry Cryer, right? Now, let me tell you this. The fucking banter that man's got is top drawer. Drinks like a fish, smokes like a chimney, right? He is, uh, how old is he? 85 years of age this year, still going strong. And when we arrived... To when we left at the end of the gig now they're headlining right he never had a bottle of beer at his hand I mean just knocking it back and no no drunk never drunk no slurring complete control of himself we are at a a, a pier if you like a, a kind of I don't know what you call it a, a key is that what it is fuck knows effectively we're at the, the edge of the water 
big wall and then all the boats in, right? So you're you're kind of you can feel the the wa- the wind and the waves going over the top of you. But we are inside this bit, we're nice and dry. In a marquee, lovely gig, uh, turned up, thought I was going to die in my ass. Went out, uh, a lot of, a lot of Tories, very middle middle and upper class. Uh, and when the rest of the bill was Radio Four, right? And then you've got me fucking beat one oh six. And uh so I thought it was going to be a tough one, but I was hosting and I worked it to my advantage. And then Barry Cryer's headlining. They loved it. Wonderful gig. Came back into the, the green room area and it was lovely, man. It was a lovely gig, beautifully set up. We had caravans, there's like green rooms, dressing rooms, and then there was a kind of communal seating area. And we were all outside because it was a nice night. And it was me, Barry Cryer, uh, another gentleman who went off because he had someone else with him who was going to speak to them. And I'm just sitting talking to Barry Cryer. And I say talking, right? I I sometimes wish that I had been doing comedy in the 70s and 80s. Even the early 90s. Not because... Not for any particular reason regarding content. Like, not for like, oh, back in the day you could see anything you want. Not for those reasons. I think just because it, everything that I hate about the business, everything that I hate about comedy is quite a recent thing. You know, the pursuit of fame, um, the the kind of young people being forced through, the the real lack of talent that can somehow still make its way to top. That's quite a relatively new thing. And so I, I generally love being in the company of people who have history, people who have stories to tell. And so I sat with Barry for about 20 minutes and he's just talking about Fringe and he's talking about, you know, memories that he had and how long he'd been coming up for. And someone came over and said, uh, Barry, uh, Anne has, uh, there's someone here who knows you, her name's Anne, she's asked if she can come over. And he said, Anne? And uh, and then the guy said, it's it's Anne Corbett. And he went, oh my God, Anne. So a woman comes over, I go, introduce myself, nice woman, sits down. And uh, obviously I realise it's Ronnie Corbett's wife, Ronnie Corbett's widow. And they two hadn't seen each other for a couple of years and they're chatting away. And then you just naturally were involved in the conversation and we were talking about stand-up and I was telling them about what had been going on at the Fringe. And then I sat for what was almost an hour as the two of them told me stories about a young Ronnie Corbett and what life was like in London in the days and how they would all run about together and work together and telling stories of Ronnie getting changed in cupboards and things like that and it was just it was a such a memorable night and it was an incredible night and it was it was just it was beautiful to be in their company and watch them watch them just remember and interact and the joy that it, it brought her being able to tell these stories of her, her late husband, you know. But wonderful, vivid stories, just being able to picture what it must have been like in, in those London nightclubs. You know, right, right to feel as though you're, you were at the start of something, at the edge of something new. Must have been incredible. And that question got me thinking about that because it got me thinking about the Ronnie Corbett show and, and I have always said I, I would love to have done something like that or maybe do something like that in the future if the opportunity ever come up. Um, to almost do like a kind of cooking podcast kind of interview thing where 
I would basically, you know, cook someone dinner and talk about their life, whether it be a meal that is memorable to them, um, you know, their favourite dish or something that reminds them of childhood or something that reminds them of a, a story, we would discuss that. But I think that would be a, a, a pretty interesting thing to do and a pretty cool thing to do. Maybe one or two guests if they're, if they're you know, some kind of common threads or a tie, but even just to sit down with, with one person, take the time, you know, spend an hour to cook together and chat. I, I have such a, a, a love and passion for food, you know, I think there's something very disarming about that as well, and I think if you were to have someone sitting, like, on a couch, talking to them, like, you know, standard kind of chat show, if you had someone with you cooking and kind of being involved, and there's something very disarming about that, just very calming, and I mean, it would help people open up. If I, if I could do it just now with the people that I know, um, I would love to do it with Phil K. He's a fascinating man. An incredible comedian with an unbelievable past. Unbelievable stories. I'd love to do it with Fred McCauley. Again, similar. Incredible comic. Um, one, a man who I feel does not get the respect he deserves from the current crop of talent in Scotland. This is a guy who who was the first Scottish resident MC in the comedy on Stone in London. Has never been one since. You know, a, a man who was at the, the 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 top, the front of everything that was happening. I'd love to sit down with Fred and do that. There, there's so many interesting characters that you could sit down and, and, and talk with, and I think it would be it would be something really cool to do over over food, over cooking. Something very personal about that. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe I'll have the opportunity to do it in the future. Um, certainly something I'd love to do. What I would cook them? I don't know. I'd, I'd probably try and do something that's... I think if you asked... If you asked them what like their favourite food was or, or a food that has nostalgia, you know, memories for them and try and cook, make that again, would be nice. Because there's no way you would make it the same. So that would give you a nice wee starting off point for a conversation. It may you may even make it better, and then that would lead you down another conversation. So I that that would be something that I would. I'd, I'd love to do that, man. But hey, you never know. You never know. If we build the Patreon up enough, and we get enough subscribers, that would how good would position would that be? That we could build the show up to a point where we could hire a wee studio, get a kitchen, bring guests in. That's the dream, man. We'll get there one day. You know, we'll get there one day. It's, you know, we'll build slowly. We've got a good core. We've got some great listeners, man. And you wonderful people. And if you would like to support the show, hey, what a segue. And do things like that, because I do have plans for it, man. I'd love to be in a position where we are in a permanent space, you know, and we have, we can afford to bring some people on to work full-time in the show. Um to up the production levels and the editing and start to look at different content. I know I want to push the kind of interviews a bit more and something like that would be fantastic. So, um, you know, if you want to see that happen, the, the the best way to do it is to support the show and to become a patron. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Big Scott Gibson gets you two episodes a week, every Wednesday, every Friday and access to a whole load of extra goodies including the comedy albums and some, uh, some more stuff once we are back to normal um, with regards to gigs and tours. Um, but to those of you who already support the show, thank you so much. And like I said, yeah, do do consider becoming a Patreoni.
Okay, um, one last thing I want to talk about, and I've saved it to the end just because it's a, a bit sombre. Um, the passing of the actor Chadwick Boseman was, I think, something that shocked us all. It certainly shocked me. I was in, I was in tears reading some of the things about him, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to go again. But um, someone, obviously, who you are aware of through their work. Did not know the man, didn't know much about his his story, much about his history. Um, but now that it has become clear of his condition and the personal battle that he was going through for the last few years of his life, it has only solidified the fact that he truly was a great man, an incredible man who did so much and it was a short life um 43 years of age no life at all colon cancer horrible horrible cancer interesting i suppose in the sense that in a world where we are obsessed by celebrity and almost feel as though when someone is famous and i i, I guess it's because of social media there are a vast majority of people feel as though they have the right to access everything about you. They have the right to know everything that's going on in your personal life. And that probably is highlighted by the fact that people are, for example, influencers now. People have built careers on social media with having absolutely no talent whatsoever other than being attractive um, I mean you only look at the fucking Kardashians for god's sake now yes there were people who will argue they are amazing business women and they built their career from nothing now I'm not saying you shouldn't do that I'm not saying you can't do that I'm not saying people who come through these you know, reality social media channels don't go on to do good things I'm sure they do I'm just saying, I am one of these people who prefers my celebrities or my famous people to actually be talented in some way or have something that makes them unique. Whether that be an incredible singing voice, an amazing acting talent, a wonderful comic, a beautiful mind that they can write things or describe things or see the world in a different way. I would rather someone had that than have the ability to get a big fake arse. That's all I'm saying. And so, in, in a world where we feel as though we have access to everything and gossip is, is rife and part of our culture, part of your daily consumption is lies and, and rumours. That for a man who was as famous as Chadwick Boseman was, to be dealing with and battling such an aggressive cancer in secret has shocked us. It's also highlighted a hope for a lot of people that there isn't a need for them to be completely in the public eye every single minute of the day. We we maybe have to get back to a time in a world where people are comfortable enough for their art or their work 
to speak for itself and not feel as though they have to do the constant, you know, be seen here, be seen there, update this, update that, push. Just allow you, here is my work, and then step back. I had seen a few stories as well about the, uh, obviously, his physical deterioration and that people were making comments on him and people had been uh, saying pretty horrible things about the, the condition in which he'd, he'd got himself in, completely unaware that the man was battling cancer. I cannot imagine what that must be like to to be living the life you always wanted to live and to know that it's going to be taken from you. To be working as hard as he did, making some iconic films. Black Panther's an amazing film. To know that you will not be around long enough to live into to an old age or long enough to, to really see the impact that his work had. One thing that had came up was something that I didn't know of. Um, there is a, a thing in America called a AFI, American Film Institute. They have this gala dinner every year where they, I think, like bring someone in the Hall of Fame, if you like. And uh, Denzel Washington was uh, was one of the the recipients of this, um, I believe, in 2019, maybe 2018. We'll, we'll probably read this in a wee second, actually, and we'll find out. But I wasn't even aware that Denzel Washington had actually paid uh, college tuition for Chadwick Boseman. Now, not him, obviously yes him, but not single-handedly picked him out. It was part of a, a foundation or, or a group. But it was, uh, watching that was quite a moving thing as well. To hear Chadwick's speech at Denzel Washington's dinner. I'll read this article for you, which is on a website called Page Six. Um, and it says, Denzel Washington remembered Chadwick Boseman fondly more than two decades after he paid for the late actor's study abroad tuition at the British American Drama Academy. He was a gentle soul and a brilliant artist who will stay with us for eternity through his iconic performances over his short yet illustrious career. Washington, 65, said in a statement after Boseman's death was announced to the public on Friday, God bless Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> I can feel myself getting... I can feel myself going here already. <coughs> Boseman passed away at the age of 43 to stage... <laughs> oh. It's just... In it's incredibly sad. You know? I will finish this article, but it's, uh, it's, <laughs> that's, that's part of me really thinking, pause this, compose yourself, and carry on, but hey, this is real man, you know, you can't be, You can't even. I don't know why this has impacted me so much. I think it's because everything that's happening in the world right now, more specifically, I suppose America, and the feeling of 
complete hopelessness that a large group of people must have at this moment in time. A feeling of hopelessness that, you know, we will probably never experience, never be able to comprehend, never understand. And you have an iconic symbol of a group of people and, a, and an iconic man in, in Chadwick Boseman who played an iconic role. I mean, think about that for a second. The fact that so much was made about Black Panther and you to think that that's the first time in history that black people have had a, a hero. A movie a, about them. A movie that they can be proud of. The first time in history. It's, it's disgusting. It's insane. That it's taken this long. And having watched some of the continued brutal attacks, murders that have happened so recently, I think that with this man's passing, it has felt it's felt like a another blow to a group of people who really cannot take much more. I'm sorry guys, um, right let's finish this, as an undergraduate enrolled in Howard University Bozeman, uh, Bozeman and eight other students were accepted into the BADA's prestigious Oxford Midsummer Programme, actress Facilia Rashard, uh, who was a teacher at Howard at the time, reached out to Washington for assistance in covering the tuition fees, Bozeman publicly thanked Washington for his generosity in June 2019 at the American Film Institute Awards where Washington received the 47th AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. Many of you already know the story that Mr Washington, when asked by Facilia Russell to join her in assisting nine theatre students from Howard University who had been accepted to a summer acting programme at the British Academy of Dramatic Acting at Oxford, he grace, gracefully and privately agreed to contribute. Bozeman said, as fate would have it, I was one of the students that he paid for. Imagine receiving a letter that your tu tuition for that summer was paid for and that your benefactor was none other than the dopest actor on the planet. <laughs> he continued, I have no doubt there are similar stories at boys and girls clubs and theatres and churches across the country where I know you have also inspired and motivated them. Ah. <sighs> What, what a, just a sad, just a sad, sad time, man. Anyway, something that I had no idea of, the fact that Denzel Washington had been responsible for funding the, the tuition for a young Chadwick Boseman to go and study in, in London. And I suppose it's like the passing of George Michael, when all those stories came out as well about the different things that he'd done, charitable stuff that he'd done, I imagine there is a there is a lot that famous actors, a lot that communities do for each other that doesn't need to be in the press, doesn't need to be known. And I suppose the thing to take from this, or the thing that I'll be taking from it is, when I do read about charitable donations or things that celebrities have done, 
I'm probably going to start to question, you know, how that's made it to the news. And the likelihood is that their publicist has got it in there. Or when someone is, you know, snapped outside of a restaurant. I mean, that is all done because it's been set up. And here you just have a man who has been unfortunate in that he's been dealt a bad hand and he's had this terrible disease. He's fought it for as long as he's could. He has passed. But he's done it in the most dignified way by continuing to work. And, and again, the thing you take from it is it's also sad to think that if he had have came out and acknowledged his illness, you would probably argue that he may not have got some of the roles that he got. And that in itself is quite a worrying idea and probably a conversation for another time. I knew as soon as I wrote down in that pad that I was going to talk about that, I knew I was going to get emotional. I don't know why this is this has hit me so much. It's been a it's been a tough couple of days, let me tell you that. Right, let's wrap this up, man. Uh if you are listening to this and you actually get to watch that in the edit, then I've swallowed my, my pride and put out a video of me nearly in tears. <laughs> Fucking hell. Team, thanks for listening, man. Uh, an odd episode. I don't really know what to make of this one, but we got there in the end. Um, thank you to all Patreonists. Thank you to everyone who subscribes and supports the show. If you'd like to support me and support the show further, please do become a Patreon. Uh, head to patreon.com forward slash Big Scott Gibson. Go to the website, look out for the tour dates. Like I said, um, at the time of this recording, we had two tickets left for the gig, the return gig on the 20th of September. Uh, I will have more information very soon of another gig that I am doing with a with a good friend of mine. Um, like I said, I can't really give you any more information than that until we get everything nailed down. Dot the I's, cross the T's. But go to the website, uh, follow the social medias, uh, that is the best place to hear about upcoming gigs. And hopefully the one in September is the start of the return to live performance, so I hope to see you there. And if I can't, listen to the podcast, share it, spread it, let's do it, blah de blah blah Look after yourself, genuinely look after yourself, man. Stay safe, wash your hands and your arsehole, and I will hopefully see you on a battlefield very soon. Onwards.